We are exploring the gift of forgiveness during this season of Lent. We know that God forgives us, but how can we possibly forgive one another? Listen to today's text from the Gospel according to John to see what Jesus might have to teach us with these words. From John chapter 8, beginning at verse 2. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law of Moses commanded to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. May God bless this reading to our understanding. The challenge to forgive other people is real. Sometimes it even seems impossible. They had a 25-year marriage and raised two amazing children, but then after 25 years, he walked out and moved in with another woman. At that point, the fractures that had been hidden behind closed doors were shared with the wider family. And I wondered, how can she ever forgive him? How can the children ever forgive him? In Ukraine, a maternity ward and a cancer hospital were bombed just last week. How can this war end and how can forgiveness begin to unfold after such unspeakable atrocities upon civilians? Two friends met in Sunday school. They were good friends in the church and they decided to take on a business deal together but one of them began to feel that the other person wasn't behaving fairly, taking advantage of the friendship and hurting him financially. The business deal fell through. And I wondered, how can they forgive one another after such harm? To be in relationship with another human being means that sooner or later, we will have to learn something about the art of forgiveness. Despite our best attempts to be good communicators, to respect one another, to love one another, we inevitably disappoint one another, hurt one another, and our own human frailty gives way to a sense of brokenness and despair. Desmond Tutu and his daughter Foe wrote The Book of Forgiving. 
They wrote both about the interpersonal levels of forgiveness that take place within the generations of a family as well as within the inner circle of family friends. And they also write about forgiveness as it unfolds between nations and large groups in society. You see, Desmond Tutu and his daughter lived through that terrible chapter in South African life known as apartheid. And during that phase of their nation's history, they saw how horrifically one human being can treat another. And so they wrote a book, How Can We Forgive One Another? And they are convinced that forgiveness is always possible. But what I learned most about forgiveness from their book was that forgiveness doesn't always come like that in an instant. It cannot be forced. Rather, forgiveness is more of a process. It might take a day. It might take a decade. In the book, they describe a fourfold process of forgiveness that breaks what they see as the cycle of revenge that often takes place in our society. For them, this process of, of forgiveness involves telling the story, naming the hurt, granting forgiveness, and then either renewing the relationship or releasing the relationship. But the real point for me was that forgiveness is a process. Today's scripture captures a moment in the process of forgiveness. It, it's really kind of an odd story. The earliest manuscripts of the Bible that we have do not include this story. I have in my office a Bible that I had in graduate school, and when I turn to see this story in that Bible, it's not in there until you look at the footnotes. But somewhere along the way, the Christian community knew this story, and they inserted it here in the Gospel according to John. You probably have heard this story. The religious leaders bring a woman before Jesus who they just caught in the very act of adultery. Now, if you're wondering where is the man if she was caught in the very act of adultery, we'll address that in another sermon. But they do come with this woman, and they remind Jesus that the religious law is very clear. She may be stoned for this sin. And then they turn to Jesus and say, what do you say? Jesus replies with amazing subtlety. Instead of saying a word, Jesus bends down. He's already seated teaching. Now he bends down and begins writing something in the dirt. We don't know what words he writes. Is he just ignoring them, just stalling? Is he scribbling names of women who they have had affairs with? That's what I would do. Is he writing down the other laws of Moses that he knows they have broken? Is he writing out a prayer to God about mercy? We don't know. But he keeps his head bent low while they continue to pester him. Maybe he's just planning his next move because he knows that they have just set a trap for him. But finally, Jesus straightens up. And he says to them, 
Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then Jesus again bends down, stooping low, and resumes scribbling something with his finger in the dirt. This is not how I want Jesus to behave. I want Jesus to stand up and give them the what for and put them in their place. But Jesus only asks them to ponder if they themselves are without sin. And one by one, they begin to slither off, to disappear into the shadows, to quietly scoot back to their own villages. Jesus sets the tone of reflective review by simply asking them a question about who it is that is without sin, he exposes their judgmentalism as perhaps a sin even greater than her adultery. When they have all disappeared, Jesus is left there in the scene alone with the woman, and he raises his head back up, and he asks her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Jesus said, neither do I. Jesus, who's supposed to be without sin, even he does not pick up a stone and throw it at this woman caught in the very act of sin. No one in the story is condemned. Not the woman not the religious leaders who want to condemn her. Jesus sends both the woman and the men away to think how it is that they might start life over again. Jesus bends his power and his privilege to simply be with them. He stoops down low to come alongside them in the midst of the struggles of real life, of real human relationships. Neither do I condemn you. Now, the word forgiveness is never used in the story, but we do glimpse this moment of Jesus bending low and not condemning those who very much deserve condemnation. His body language almost speaks as much as his words. My friend did this recently. She's a flight attendant, and she had an occasion when she was the lead flight attendant on a flight across the U.S., and one of those unruly passengers that you hear about on the nightly news showed up on her plane. He was protesting the federal mask mandate required on airplanes, and he became belligerent and noncompliant, and the other passengers began to lean in and stand up for the flight attendant. They asked her, do you want us to help you? I can just feel them. I can feel myself reaching into my pocket to grab a stone. But my friend said, it's okay, I got this. She calmly, sweetly, and firmly explained to the tall, broad-shouldered man standing in front of her, sir, I do not make the laws, but it is my job to enforce them. Eventually, he complied, and he even apologized. And when she told me this story, I said to my friend, how could you do that? How could you maintain such, such composure and reply to this man with such calm grace? And you know what she said? She said, I could tell that he was carrying something very heavy that day. 
He got on the airplane, and before it even took off, he ordered two double gin martinis. And I could tell that he was carrying something very heavy. And who knows, who knows how I would behave if I was carrying what he had been carrying that day. And then she said he apologized, not once, not twice, but three times. She came alongside him with subtlety, seeing that he too was broken, neither do I condemn. The challenge to forgive other people is real. It can be unbearable and impossible, but sometimes just seeing them as a human being like us can be a good place to start. The novelist and poet Wendell Berry still lives in small-town rural Kentucky. In a recent article, he describes how he frequently goes into the little town of Port Royal to gather at the farm supply store to visit with the other farmers in the community. Some of those men that gather in the farm store hold polar opposite political views from Wendell Berry. Some of them vehemently disagree with Wendell Berry's farming techniques because he's a conservationist. But Wendell Berry goes down to the farm supply store and, and he tries to engage in genuine and caring dialogue with his neighbors. And here's how Wendell Berry describes what happens. He said, if two neighbors know that they may seriously disagree, but either of them given even a small change of circumstances, may desperately need the other, should they not keep between them a sort of prepaid forgiveness? They ought to keep it ready to hand like a fire extinguisher. I love this image of the prepaid forgiveness. It's an acknowledgement in advance that we will disagree and disappoint one another, but all of us are simply human beings doing the best that we can. Keep a prepaid forgiveness between us. I can just picture Wendell Berry there at the farm supply store, kind of bending over on the front porch like Jesus, riding in the dirt something with his fingers as they shoot the breeze. We bend our wills toward another. We stoop to listen to another's perspective. We pass out prepaid forgiveness like a fire extinguisher to keep our communities from burning down. The challenge to forgive others is real. I don't have all the answers. No one knows, really, why this story didn't appear in the earliest manuscripts of the Gospels. But somehow this story stayed alive. It remained in circulation amongst the Christians Maybe it's because the story invites us to reflect on our own human frailty and to stop condemning those who are around us. It offers all of us a chance to walk away as people who have been changed by Jesus who bends low to share our human circumstances. God doesn't condemn us, but comes alongside of us so how can we condemn one another? In a podcast, the famous singer Dolly Parton, and make note I have never ended a sermon with a story about Dolly Parton and probably never will again, 
But in this podcast, Dolly Parton shares the story of her long relationship with the famous country singer named Porter Wagner. Porter Wagner was famous when he invited Dolly Parton, who was only 21 years old, to come and sing on his hit TV show. She was so poor that she would often steal food off the carts in the hotel hallways of room service that people had discarded. She was hungry to get her music out. She wanted to get a song to become a hit. She wanted to get gigs to pay the bills. And Porter Wagner invited her to come and sing on his hit TV show. They worked together for about 10 years. And during that time, Dolly Parton's career just took off. Her success and fame skyrocketed. But after about 10 years, she realized that if she was going to grow, she was going to need to leave Porter Wagner's side and go it alone. When she left, Porter Wagner was so angry that he sued her. And they settled for a million dollars and she didn't have a million dollars. So it took Dolly Parton years to pay him off. And during those years, he would often speak about her in public and to the press using horrible, nasty stories, telling things about her. And it was so embarrassing and their relationship was ruptured. But many years later, Dolly learned that Porter was suffering. His career was in the tank. He was financially a mess. He owed the IRS a half million dollars, and Dolly Parton bailed him out. She bought his music publishing company, and she gave it to his children. She not only rescued him financially, but they became friends again. She bent low and came alongside him. And when Porter Wagner died in a hospice facility, the nurses said that Dolly Parton was the last person to visit him. When she was asked why she would do that for someone who treated her so terribly, she said that she always had wondered if her career really would have ever taken off if Porter Wagner hadn't given her a chance. She was so grateful to him, and she was so sorry for having hurt him. And when pushed to say how this whole experience had shaped not only her personal life, but her career and her ability to bring people together across so many different boundaries, Dolly said, yeah, forgiveness. Forgiveness is really all there is.